All right, we're going to go ahead and get started because there's a lot to get through today. Um, no, no, we, we, we got to get moving. Are you guys going to be like, it'll be 10 after 10 and you'll still be sitting here. <laughs> no, I'm locking the door. Revolt. Okay, so we're in session seven. God listens. Um, we'll be in Isaiah chapter 37. For the lesson part, we're going to back up a little bit and read some other stuff. So go ahead and stick your finger in Isaiah 37. Um, this is one of those really cool stories that we don't often uh, read the other part of the story. It's just, we're going to look at Hezekiah. Remember last week we talked about Hezekiah. He's the current king that we've jumped forward in history um, from Asa, or uh, not Ahaz. Um, and now we're at Hezekiah. And everybody loves the story of Hezekiah. We do it with the little kids and stuff where we're um, talking about the tunnel and all that. But this is the other half of the story that we don't ever read because that, the story of Hezekiah is in the book of um, Chronicles and Kings. And that's where we find that. But Isaiah is part of the story. Uh, it's part of the beginning part of the story. And we, ne- we don't really read it. And they were going to skip it. But you can't understand what the lesson is if you don't know where it starts. So we got a lot of reading this morning. So a lot of, uh, but it's historical reading um, and all that. Back in history class, right? Back in history class. <laughs> so we're going to start in chapter uh, 36. So find Isaiah chapter 36 and y'all going to just start reading. Uh, verses 1 and 2. Somebody start that for us. Fourteenth year of the king Hezekiah, Sennacherib, the king of Assyria, came up against the fortified cities of Judah and took them. And the king of Assyria sent, uh, what's the name? Shechem. And from Lachish to the king of uh, Hezekiah to Jerusalem with a great army, and he stood by the conduit of the upper pool on the highway to the washes field. Okay. So here we go. Israel, the northern kingdom, is gone. They've been decimated. They've been hauled off into captivity and all that. And here comes Sennacherib. He wants to take Jerusalem. Hezekiah has stood against him and all that. So that's where we're, we're going. His Rabbishak is his uh, emissary, if you will. All right. Next. Uh, chapter 36, verses 4 through 10. Go. The field commander said to them, Tell Hezekiah, this is what the great king, the king of Assyria, said. On what are you basing this confidence of yours? You say you have strategy and military strength, but you speak only empty words. On whom are you depending that you rebel against me? Look now, you are depending on Egypt, the splintered reed of a staff that which pierces a man's hand and wounds him if he leans on it. Such is Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to all who depend on him. And if you say to me, we are depending on the Lord our God, isn't he the one whose high places and altars Hezekiah removed, saying to Judah and Jerusalem, you must worship before this altar? Come now, make a bargain with my master, the king of Assyria. 
I will give you 2,000 horses if you can put riders on them. How then can you repulse one officer of the least of my master's officials, even though you are depending on Egypt for chariots and horsemen? Furthermore, I have come to attack and destroy this land without the Lord. The Lord himself told me to march against this country and destroy it. Okay, so lots going on here. Remember last week's lesson. What was Hezekiah trying to decide to do? Well, he was going to uh, try to get Egypt to help him out. He was trying to get Egypt to help him out. And Isaiah told him, you don't need him. Remember, there's the, the, the whole thing. And Hezekiah decided he was going to stand with God. So this guy shows up. And you can see he's like, oh, you're going to really, you're relying on Egypt. Egypt ain't going to help you. Our army's much bigger, much better. Uh, you know, I mean, he's making fun of him. I'll give you the horses if you can put people on them. Uh, the idea being that everybody's cowering somewhere. Remember, the strong cities of the north have already fallen from Judah um, and stuff. And now he's, he's at Jerusalem. And we know that Hezekiah decided to, that he would follow the Lord. Part of what's not here that's in the other uh, part of this, Hezekiah brings revival to Israel or to Judah. He tears down the high places, all the altars to the false gods, and tells everybody you got to worship at the temple in Jerusalem and you got to worship God Almighty. And so now he's making fun of them. You, you've already gotten rid of all those other gods. They weren't, they're not worth anything. What do you think that your God's going to do? So he is making inflammatory speech against Egypt, against Hezekiah himself, against his people, and against his God. Okay, so those, those are the, the four things. This is why I said you've you got to get the feel for the story as we come into this. This guy is a loudmouth standing on the sidelines, you know, just giving him a hard time. So that's, that's where we're at with this right now. Okay, let's pick up the story in chapter 36, verses 11 through 20. Somebody go ahead and read those. Then Eliakim, Shephna, and Joah said to Rabshakeh, Please speak to your servants in Aramaic, for we understand it. Do not speak to us in the language of Judah within the hearing of the people who are on the wall. But Rabshakeh said... Has my master sent me to speak these words to your master and to you, and not to the men sitting on the wall, who are doomed with you to eat their own dung and drink their own urine? Then Rabshakeh stood and called out in a loud voice in the language of Judah, Hear the words of the great king, the king of Assyria. Thus says the king, Do not let Hezekiah deceive you, for he will not be able to deliver you. Do not let Hezekiah make you trust in the Lord by saying, the Lord will surely deliver us. This city will not be given into the hand of the king of Assyria. Do not listen to Hezekiah, for thus says the king of Assyria, Make your peace with me and come on out to me. Then each one of you will eat of his own vine and each one his own fig tree, and each one of you will drink the water of his own sister. Until I come and take you away to a land like your own land, a land of grain and wine, a land of bread and vineyards, beware lest Hezekiah mislead you by saying, the Lord will deliver us. Has any of the gods of the nations delivered this, his land out of the hand of the king of Assyria? Where are the gods of Hamath and Arpad? Where are the gods of Sepharavim? 
Have they delivered Samaria out of my hand? Who among all the gods of these lands have delivered their, their lands out of my hand that the Lord should deliver Jerusalem out of my hand? Little bug stinging bragging, huh? Yeah. Yeah. I'll tell you, this, it seems like uh, when they wrote the script for 300, <laughs> the emissary went out in front of... Uh, yes. They took it from here. Uh, that, that, but despots have always done that. I mean, huh? <laughs> we've been listening to campaign rhetoric. Doesn't it sound like the campaign rhetoric? If you elect him, don't be... Uh, you, you, the world is going to end. Yeah, they, they, they all do the same thing. They all say the same thing. Put your, he, he's calling to the men of the wall. He's, now he's not even talking to the king or anything. He's trying to convince the people. Just give it up. Leave your spears. Come on out and surrender to me, and I'll make you safe. All right, so you're, you're with me. You're tracking this. All right, uh, Isaiah, we'll continue the story. Isaiah 36, 22 through third, chapter 37, verse 7. Somebody read. <coughs> 22, you said, right? Yeah, start in verse 22 of 36. And Eliakim, the son of Hilkiah, who was over the household of Shebna, secretary, and Joah, the son of Asaph, the reporter, came to Hezekiah with their clothes torn and told him the words of the Rabshakeh. As soon as King Hezekiah heard it, he tore his clothes and covered himself with sackcloth and went into the house of the Lord. And he sent Eliakim, who was over the household, and Shebna, the secretary, and the senior priests, covered with sackcloth to the, prophet of, to the prophet Isaiah, the son of Amos. They said to him, Thus saith Hezekiah, This day is a day of distress, of rebuke, and of disgrace. Children have come to the point of birth, and there is no strength to bring them forth. It may be that the Lord your God will hear the words of the Rabshakeh, whom his master, the king of Assyria, has sent to mock the living God. And he will rebuke the words that the Lord your God has heard. Therefore, lift up your prayer for the remnant that is left. And you said through seven, right? Yeah, through 37. When the servants of King Hezekiah came to Isaiah, Isaiah said to them, Say to your master, Thus saith the Lord, Do not be afraid because of the words that you have heard, with which the young men of the king of Assyria have reviled me. Behold, I will put a spirit in him, so that he shall hear a rumor, and return to his own land, and I will make him fall by the sword in his own land. All right, so... <laughs> so, Isaiah is offering comfort to them. Um, Hezekiah, as we saw last week, had decided, I won't go with Egypt, I'll stand with God. This guy shows up, I mean, with his megaphone standing there, making all sorts of noise, um, mocking God, mocking the king, mocking the people, mocking the city, and all that. And Hezekiah's not rattled. It's stressful. I mean, he makes that clear. And he sends his, men, his guys off to go and see what Isaiah's got to say, because Isaiah's the prophet, and see what God wants them to do. And we see the response. God's going to make them run away. So let's pick it up. 37, 10 through 13. Thus shall you speak to Hezekiah, king of Judah. Do not let your God in whom you trust deceive you by promising that Jerusalem will not be given into the hand of the king of Assyria. Behold, 
You have heard what the kings of Assyria have done to all lands, devoting them to destruction. And shall you be delivered? Have the gods of the nations delivered them? The nations that my fathers destroyed, Gozan, Haran, Rezpah, and the people of Eden who were in Talasar? Where is the king of Hanath, the king of Arbad, the kings of the city of Sepharvim, the king of Hena, or the king of Iva? So, he's, he's got this whole thing. We've wiped out all these people. Their gods couldn't protect them and all that. So now that, that's the background to the lesson. Uh, Reb Shaka hears, is going to hear that the Cushites, the, the, the king of Cush, is sending his army, which that's upper Egypt. Cush is down in where the headwaters of the Nile are um, in Egypt, and that they're coming. And so he's going to have to leave Jerusalem to go and deal with it. I got a nice little map here. All right, so this red line that you can see here, this is how he got there. Rebshekah brought the army down here, taking all the cities along this path. Here's Lachishim. Lachish. Yeah, and here's Jerusalem over here. So what happens is, is that he gets here and he comes across to Jerusalem and this whole story we just read is taking place there. And God says, I'm going to put fear in him and he's going to run away because he's going to go deal with Cush and he does. He leaves and goes all the way over to here above Ashdod to deal with the Egyptians who aren't actually coming to help Israel. Um, they're just coming to keep them from coming into... Israel is, is positioned where Afri the, the, the continent of Africa meets the continent of Asia. And the, the land that is Israel tends to be the battlegrounds for Egypt and all the other great nations, whether it's Rome, the Greeks, the Persians, the Babylonians. They, say, they all, they don't, the, the Egyptians don't want them coming into Egypt, so they, they make a stand in Israel, and Israel just ends up being um, the battlegrounds for everybody else, and they just get caught in the middle and wind up wandering back and forth. So that's where, where the, we're at, okay? So he's left Jerusalem, and he's going over here to fight with the Egyptians. Now we'll pick up our lesson, and we'll see what happens. Like Welcome. All right, so let's uh, start our lesson here in Isaiah chapter 37. We need uh, verses uh, 14 through 20. Told you there was a lot of reading today. <clears throat> Hezekiah received a letter from the hand of the messengers and read it. And Hezekiah went up to the house of the Lord and spread it before the Lord. And Hezekiah prayed to the Lord, O Lord of hosts, God of Israel, enthroned above the cherubim, you are the God, you alone of all the kingdoms of the earth. You have made heaven and earth. Incline your ear, O Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, O Lord, and see and hear all the words of Sennacherib which he has sent to mock the living God. Truly, O Lord, the kings of Assyria have laid, waste, have laid waste all the nations and their lands, and have cast their gods into the fire. For they were no gods, but the work of men's hands, wood, and stone, 
therefore they were destroyed. So now, O Lord our God, save us from his hand, that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you alone are the Lord. All right. So Ramshakeh leaves to go deal with Egypt, and they send this letter. He's battling the Egyptians. He's going to finish up, and he sends this letter back. Basically, everything that he said in, the, in his speech is written in the letter. It's signed by um, Sennacherib. Hezekiah gets the letter, and he takes it not to the people, not to his generals, but he takes it into the temple, plants his face on the ground, spreads out the letter, and begs God to deal with it because he has no ability. So here we are. <clears throat> we are in our outline of Isaiah. This is uh, point, uh, what is it, six? The second cycle of general judgment and promise. Uh, Isaiah recorded the first with the, with the original king that he was working with, and that guy totally bombed. This is now, here it is, it's Hezekiah's turn. So this is the second run of it. What are you going to do? Hezekiah has made his choice, and he brings his request to the Lord. I love how he words this. First of all, he takes it straight to God. He gets the letter, he reads it, or it's read to him, and the first thing he does is he goes to God with it. I mean, that's a lesson in all of itself, because how often do we go to God first? Usually we go to him last. We try to solve our own problem when we mess it up and make it worse. We go to see somebody else who's supposed to be a specialist in it. And then we get it messed up even worse. And then finally, somewhere around the fifth or sixth option, we might start thinking, maybe I ought to take it to God. He seeks God to save them. He admits that he has no option. He has nothing to stand on, nothing going for him. But here's the real, I mean, that's not unusual. When we come to God, it's usually because we're out of options, isn't it? I mean, it's usually, well, the difference is, is that he seeks resolution not because we're the chosen people. If you look at Isaiah or Hezekiah's language, he doesn't say that for our sake or because we're your people. Uh, it has nothing to do with them. He makes it out that it's for God's glory. Sennacherib has mocked you, God. Don't do it for us. Do it for yourself. Glorify yourself by mock taking away this mocker. All the other gods are not God. All the other gods were just stone and wood and destroyed. They got what they deserved. But you, God, you're the living God. You're the true God. Defend yourself, God, for your glory, not our sake. Not because of our righteousness, not because it has nothing to do with them. Hezekiah recognized that he didn't deserve God to save them. He wants God to save them, but not for, not for themselves. They, they're, they're unworthy, if you will. So the request, here it is. We've got the request. Comments, questions. Y'all familiar with this story? Yeah, some of you? Good. A lot of times it just doesn't get, it doesn't get read because it's in Isaiah and everybody's like, oh, it's Isaiah, it's a prophet. It's all that prophecy, it's so thick and heavy, nobody wants to, reads it. We go to Isaiah for Christmas. And that's all. All right, we'll move on. 
right. Isaiah 37, uh, verses 30 through 32. So this is, this is the sign, if you will, that God is giving to Hezekiah. The previous couple verses that we didn't read, 21 through 29, is uh, the whole long litany of what God is going to do. We're going to see that play out here in a minute. But this is the sign that God gives to Hezekiah. Um, crops. Now remember, I showed you the map. All the cities down the coast have already been annihilated. The northern kingdom has been decimated. The people are basically hiding in the cities. And nobody's tending the farm. Um, so crops, it's going to be two years and the crops will be back. That's going to be the sign that God did whatever he wanted. They're going to eat whatever um, is in the fields. They didn't plant. What is it, Kellen, what do you guys call that? You, the, uh, there's a word for it farmers have. Uh, volunteer crops. They're the crops that you don't plant that just show up. Like weeds? Well, no, they're not weeds. They're, they're actual. They're, I don't know why they call they them. They themselves. Yeah, they're reseeded. So you're going to eat that in the first year, and then you're going to eat that in the second year. And in the third year, you'll have a planted harvest, and it's going to be good. So the crops will be back in two years. The second part of the sign is that Hezekiah must wait and trust God. This is what you, you do. This is, you just sit there, don't do anything. We're going to see how that works out in a second. It's an odd sign, um, but it's, he, it, it's the way you're going to know that it was God who did it because he's telling us ahead of time that this is what will transpire. All right, so. Wow, this went a lot faster than I thought it would. <laughs> Well, with all the reading, I thought we'd be, like, up to the last minute. You were yelling at us. You had to read fast. Yeah, read fast. <laughs> oh, that's all right. We'll get done early. That's all right. Yeah, right. Take it up with God. He'll give them back to you. I am, I, am, I, am, I, am, I am just his mouthpiece. <laughs> Go ahead, Joe. Go ahead, Joe. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right, let's see how this story ends. Isaiah 37, verses 33 through 38. Therefore, thus says the Lord concerning the king of Assyria, he shall not come into the city or shoot an arrow there or come before it with a, sh a shield or cast up a siege mound against it, by the way he, that he came, by the same he shall return, and he shall not come into this city, declares the Lord. For I will defend this city to save it for my own sake and for the sake of my servant David. 
And the angel of the Lord went out and struck down 185,000 in the camp of the Assyrians. And when people arose early in the morning, behold, these were all dead bodies. The king, then Sennacherib, king of Assyria, departed and returned home and lived at Nineveh. And as he was worshiping in the house of Misroch his god, Adrimelech and Sherarezer, his son, struck him down with the sword. And after they escaped into the land of Ararat, Ezra had and his son reigned in its place. How do you like them apples? Isn't the definite article in Hebrew so it was one angel? Uh, I don't actually know. I would have to go and look. I don't yeah. have a Hebrew I think text. Here. Joe says it was Ralph. <laughs> What's that? Joe says it was Ralph. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> picture this scene. Picture this scene, 184,000 armed to the teeth troops. 85,000, what did I say? 184, okay, whatever. (laughs) (laughs) Too early, too early. (laughs) Wow. We're going to start here in Pennsylvania, right? Uh, That was perfect. (laughs) 185,000 troops camped outside the walls. They're still in the, the trying to convince the people to give up. And like I said, Hezekiah sends people to Isaiah. He goes to the Lord. He does all this. And God tells him to wait. And then he sends this through Isaiah of what he's going to do. They're not going to shoot an arrow. Oh, you know what? I didn't change this. Okay, so the answer that I, to Hezekiah's question, God, will you defend us? God tells him that not one arrow will be shot into the city. I mean, can you imagine, you got I mean, that many troops, not a stray arrow, not a messed up arrow, no arrows. There's, <laughs> there's no way anybody think, is thinking that they're getting out of this alive. Um... They're going to not even cast up. Now, you have to understand, these cities are built on hills. So when the, where the walls start are sometimes 30 or 40 feet above the, the ground where everybody's walking up. And you, you have to wind your way up to the, up to the gates to the city um, because they're built up high. So, I mean, they, what they do is they bring the slaves and they just keep piling up dirt. They build a ramp up to the top of the walls so they can pour over them, and slaves are cheap. Um, so they, you know, and the people on the walls are shooting the slaves, but they're just bringing dirt, bringing dirt, bringing dirt. Um, they're not going to do that. Before they even do that, this is going to be settled. They're going to turn tail and run. This isn't the whole army. The, remember, Part of the army is off fighting the Egyptians. This is the part that was left here. So 185,000 is um, just encamped there to keep the... Because you think about it, you don't want an enemy at your back. So you're going over to fight the Egyptians. You don't want Israel or you don't want Judah to come pouring out behind you. So they left these guys there. And uh, God says... 
they're, they're not going to be a bother at all. The angel of the Lord. It's the same one that went through Egypt in the night and killed the firstborn. Same, same guy. Uh, I don't know if it's one angel or if it was many angels or whatever, but it's the reaper, the grim reaper uh, of angels. Uh, can you imagine? Picture that scene, if you will. You go to bed and all the troops are out there. I mean, you got fires, tents. I'm sure the noise. I mean, anybody who's been in the military, military camps are not the, the quietest things. All that noise. You get up in the morning and it's nothing but dead bodies. For as far as you can see, I mean, 185,000 people is a lot of people. And they're just dead. We have no idea how they died. It doesn't say. We don't know if they just keeled over, heart attacks, poison, COVID, COVID sure. <laughs> um, it, 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 quite, huh? Herodotus recorded that the army camp was infected with mice or rats. Yeah, that's, that's, those are the liberal scholars. That, no, it is. That they, they don't want it to be miraculous. It was just a plague. That's what they want to, they you know, and it, and it didn't happen overnight. It was days. Yeah, they, they, they want to say that it's a bubonic plague. It's, it's not. This is a miraculous thing. They all died. It wasn't a slow progression in a week, and they just changed the words. Yeah, no, they, they, they woke up, and they were all gone, dead, and uh, uh, quite literally. And we see at the end of this, um, it's for God's glory. He does it for himself and because of the, the, the sake of his servant David, the promises he made to David. Um, he's going to keep them. Now, what's really interesting, now Isaiah records it, but he doesn't explain what happened in the end. Sennacherib loses 185,000. He also lost to Egypt. He turns tail and runs back to Assyria. Um, now, he had mocked God, remember? What kind of God do you think you have? My gods are stronger. They've, we've conquered everybody and all that. 20, it takes, it's 20 years later. He spends 20 years... Not going anywhere else. He loses Jerusalem, and Sennacherib doesn't go out to wage war anymore. Which, that's the, only, you know, the biggest set of income that you have. And he spends his time worshiping his God in the, his temples um, because he lost. So he thinks that he has dishonored them and all that. Well, I guess his kids got tired of uh, waiting for dad to do something. And they kill him in the temple. Which, uh, to be killed in the temple of your God really shows you how weak your God really is. Uh, he couldn't even protect you in his own domain um, and by his own kids. Uh, so this is, I mean, it, it's kind of like insult and injury. Um, and Sennacherib is uh, no more. Uh, so God adds insult to the injury of defeating uh, his massive army. Comments, questions as we've looked at this. Oh, wow, we're going to be really early today. <laughs> I love it. That's great. I, I have one question. Uh -huh. uh, when we first read, I think it was um, in the beginning of 37, mm -hmm. um, where he's railing on about things. Um, 
He said something about the Lord. He said the Lord told him to come and. Yeah, his Lord. Was Sennacherib. Yeah, he's talking about Sennacherib. Because it didn't sound like that. It sounded like. Uh, no, he, he's referring. That, yeah, because they don't actually use um, the names of gods and all that, everybody's the Lord. You know, all, all of them are Lord. There's only one word for Lord. So whether they're talking about God or somebody else, um, it gets. That's like that passage in Psalms where David's talking about. Um, I my I said my Lord, Lord to, to my Lord. yeah and all that yeah, you, you've got to if you look in Hebrew it makes sense because of the endings that go on it you know who's the object who's the um, subject and all that and the the word for Lord is simply El um, so like the word El Shaddai is a compound it's the Lord something it, it's a title. And so anybody who's above you is called that. Um, so God is always called Lord because he's above everybody. But it, it could be, you know, you're, you're the slave, your master, he's Lord um, and all that. So get, it, it can get very complicated. Um, Here's the verse right here. Um, it's, it's 10 at the end. It says... The Lord said to me, go up against this land and destroy it. So I guess, uh, I mean, could he, could, he, could he be there saying that, like, you know how the Lord had him destroy Samaria and all that? And all that? No, no, he, no, because it's not him. It's, he has no idea about who God is. Okay. Um, I'm trying to find verse 10. 36, 36.10. Yeah. Uh, there it is. Moreover, is it without the Lord that I have come up against this land to destroy it? The Lord said to me, go up against this land and destroy it. Yeah, he's, uh, he's quoting his thing because of, right before it, it says, how then can you repulse a single captain among the least of my master's servants? So the, he's talking, he's speaking for his master, not his, it, isn't, it has nothing to do with God. Because they have the Lord in all capitals Yeah, it's, it, it's not God. All right. So here we go. Wrap this up. As we look at in our society today, we, we, I mean, we don't have troops at our, at our doors, at least not yet. <laughs> but, we're, um, but we're in similar situations where the world is um, mocking God. Um, yeah, they're, they're, they're mocking him. They're making fun of him. Um, we can approach God with bold requests because of who God is. Now, whether he'll do it or not, you know, answer our request, it depends on his will. But we can boldly approach, just as Hezekiah does, similar situations. We see that uh, Hezekiah is not the first, nor is he the last. 
that does this. We're gonna see, we'll see is it Daniel does it, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They, they all go to God with uh, requests like this, and it happens over and over again. God calls on believers to trust him as he responds to our prayers according to his will. He responds, maybe not necessarily always the way we want, but he does hear. Our job is to trust and wait. Now, Hezekiah didn't have to wait long. Others, like Isaiah, has been asking God for years. I mean, this is the second king he's on, and the, the change has yet to come upon the people um, for it. But sometimes we have to wait, and we just have to sit and trust. And that's a, that's a terrible position to be in, isn't it? We hate the wait game. We're waiting right now. We don't know the extent of the elections. We don't know what that means for the economy, for our jobs, or anything. We, we, we don't have a clue. The reality is, is we're going to have to wait till what is it, January 20th, Inauguration Day? Hopefully we've got it sorted out by then. It's possible that it won't be. Another reason. We don't know. But this is where the trust comes in. And this story and all the others like it are what give us the strength to say, okay, God, you're, you're, this is your sovereign. This is your country. This is your world, your universe. You're running it your way. We'll wait. I mean, we can go out and do something on our own, stupidly. Go make some sort of deal with Egypt. Uh, how'd that work out? It didn't work out so well, did it? We make a deal with the with uh, our neighbors and and that. Uh, go ahead. Would you? So I just have a question. How how should we pray then? Should we pray, Lord, look, they're trying to steal an election. Da, 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 da. And um, I think you could be as specific as Hezekiah was. He was very specific. There's nothing wrong with that. the 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 problem is is when we don't trust, when we don't believe, and we don't wait, and we just decide to go and do something. Well, something that isn't what God would want us to do. I mean, we have all of Scripture. He had a prophet. He had to go and ask, what do I do? Just wait. We've got all of Scripture. We know that there are things that we are supposed to do, like honor the government. Well, that is, I mean, that is a clear biblical teaching. So if we're supposed to honor the government, that's the system that we have. That means we wait for all the trials and all the recounts. And all that. So our, our, our action is to take it to the Lord uh -huh. and trust Him and wait for the other. Sure. I mean, who would have ever thought that 185,000 would be killed? Well, you know, if he can pull that one off overnight, uh, some paper ballots uh, are nothing. are nothing. Um, you know, and people, look, we know that there's corruption. We know that people have lied misled, and all sorts of stuff. God is a God of truth. He abhors dishonesty. Abhors it. He said that once he's established as president, there's no turning back. doesn't matter how much counting they do. It's done. Well, yeah, once, once he's inaugurated, yeah. But until that point, there's, there's plenty that can happen. And even after inauguration, uh, if you remember Nebuchadnezzar, who thought he was all that and then some... Uh, he was eating grass out in the field 
God his his would not put up with it. God struck him down and turned him into a beast. Uh, so. Uh, you know, anything. So we, we've got to try. This. this is where our faith comes into play, is our waiting and our trust in him that he will do it. And uh, Somebody Friday night at our place kept calling her Carmella. <laughs> wow. We see that God does respond to our prayers in ways that demonstrate his power in accordance with his plans. He does act. He does act. We see him act. He acted when they came and drug Jesus away for his trial and crucifixion. He got acted. I'm certain it's not the way anybody wanted, certainly not the apostles, certainly not his mother. Uh, they begged and pleaded, but he did act. God's act was to withhold wrath upon the earth. The outrage of the heavenly host. Do you think the angelic beings were excited to watch the Son of God being mistreated in such a manner? I mean, we just saw one, they just killed 185,000. How easy would it have been to come to his rescue? But God holds it back. That's, that's a response. We see that he does respond. And we just have to, we have to believe in his plan. We, we get our, I mean, the church <laughs> has gotten ahead of itself and decided that, well, our plan is better. God, God's taking too long to do whatever he's doing. And we get ahead of his plan. And then we wonder why he doesn't show up. I mean, I'm thinking of the whole crusade thing. Uh, no, we got a better idea. We're going to retake Jerusalem for God. And we're gonna we're gonna make it uh, the the you know crowning jewel of the Christian Church, as we slaughtered tens of thousands of Muslims and Arabs and Jews and anybody else that wasn't with the church. And now you look at the, the we're, we're living in the uh, fallout from that, all the Crusades. We've got to be patient. We've got to wait. We've got to pray. God will direct and he will guide. Let's close in prayer. Father, we live in an age that's just as stressful as it was in Hezekiah's day. Lord, they may not physically be at the door, but Lord, they are they're here and they're not going away. Lord, they mock you in their advertisements, in their speeches, in their desires. Lord, they, they mock life in general. They mock the very idea that you even exist. Lord, we ask that you give us the patience to wait. Lord, you have a plan. The ultimate being that those knees will bow and they will answer for all the misdeeds that they've done. Lord, give us patience. Help us to wait on you. Help us to trust that you've got it in hand. Give us the ability to believe. In your name we pray. Amen.